Welcome to this podcast for Classical 91.5. I'm Julia Figueres. March is Women's History Month, and today I'm talking with Heather O'Donnell, who is an adjunct professor of German at the Eastman School of Music and has been studying about one of the greats in classical music, Clara Schumann, lately. Welcome, Heather. Thank you, Julia. Great to be here. You know, I think it's really fitting that we should be recording this on International Women's Day because so much of what Clara did really set the table for women in classical music and people in general. The world for women was so much different in Clara Schumann's day. Yes, it was. I was thinking about how she could achieve all that she did as a pianist and as a composer. Um, She didn't really have any models. Um, There were a few active women pianists at that time, but nobody who reached the stature that she did. And she, I think she was helped and um, perhaps hindered in some ways, but she, she just didn't have models, so she didn't know what to do or what not to do. She just did what she did. And I think um, the kind of unique nature of her um, career and the fact that she just was a really strong person, um, she was forging her own path. There was nobody who did anything like her before. She had um, kind of a bad, just a difficult childhood. Yes, she did. Her father, um, well, let's talk about that guy, shall we? Yes, he was mean. <laughs> he was a mean guy. Uh, I don't want to reduce anybody to one or two adjectives, but he was just mean. He, he was um, very, very vindicative. He was um, very controlling. He had some really great pedagogical ideas. Um, obviously, he, he trained her to be one of the great pianists, and she couldn't have done that without him. Um, she had a lot of musical aptitude. Um, she was born into a musical family. Her mother was a musician. Um, her mother ran away as soon as she could because the father <laughs> was so difficult. Um, so she grew up without a mother. At that point, um, women really t- couldn't have a legal claim to their children when they left the family. And so the mother went off to Berlin, and Clara grew up without a mother. Um, she was completely under the influence of her father. And I find a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome going on because um, she was extremely attached to him. Um, He was very, as I mentioned before, he's very domineering, very controlling. Um, But pedagogically, he had some really interesting ideas. He he didn't advocate that she ever overpractice. She would practice a couple hours a day. She would spend her entire day with music-related activities. So she was um, learning about music theory, learning about... Uh, she was doing ear training exercises. She was having singing lessons in addition to piano lessons every day. Um, she was taking several hour walks uh, in the fresh air, but thinking and talking about music at the same time. She was learning a little bit, but really only things that would help her musical career, like English and French, because those were the countries that uh, Frederick uh, Creek wanted her to tour in. So everything she did as a child was, was really geared towards making a the best pianist of her generation. And yet the irony of, of having this domineering, awful father was mm-hmm. that she, in the end, lived out his greatest dreams. Mm-hmm. He wanted to have a superstar, and he got one. He got one. He got one. It worked out. Um, I don't think he would see it that way because um, he lost the battle. Uh, we'll probably talk about this in a moment, but he uh, cut off ties with her at a certain point in her teenage years um, because she fell in love with a certain composer. And a certain <laughs> composer came to them to study with him. Yes. And that composer would be, of course, Robert Schumann. That did, while that went well for the kids, um, in the end, it was a very sad story. Yes. I think. She, she lost her family 
um, only to create another very large family on yeah. her own. But uh, if you'd like to talk a little mm. bit about what happened with those two. Right. So Lorbert came to study with Frederick Wieck when he was uh, about 18, so Clara was nine years younger than he was, um, and he was just in awe of her as everybody who met her was. Um, she was a fantastic pianist, much better than he was. Um, and there was just this, this mutual admiration. Um, as the years went by, that grew into um, love, and when she was reaching her 16th, 17th birthday, they, they were really very clearly in love with each other. And um, Robert and Clara both thought that Frederick Wieck would be happy about this. Um, he was anything but happy. Um, he wanted somebody for Clara that would ensure that she never had to worry about money. And unfortunately, Robert was a poor composer um, after he gave up his dreams of being a concert pianist for, for various reasons. Um, he was a poor composer, not really very well known. And um, Frederick Wieck absolutely uh, forbid them to marry. He actually put a kind of what you would say in modern language, a restraining order out on Lorbert Schumann. Um, he even threatened to shoot him. <laughs> mm. So he was, a, as I said before, he was a mean guy. Kind of harsh. <laughs> so they had to spend, um, they had a lot of mental energy trying to get in contact with each other. Um, Frederick Wieck wouldn't let them write to each other, so they had to go through mutual friends who would deliver letters from one to the other. And they had this incredible correspondence um, over the course of several years. Um, where they were really getting to know each other just through letters. Um, by the time they f did get the legal right to marry when she was just a day short of her 21st birthday, um, they hadn't spent that much time together. So um, the years that had gone by in their, their really prolonged courtship, um, everything was conducted by letters. And as you can probably imagine, it's really not easy to jump into marriage with somebody that you haven't really known that well. And um, they both had sacrificed a lot for this project of getting married. And um, Clara had given up her, her father, um, who she was still deeply attached to. She had to choose either Robert Schumann or her father, and she decided for Robert. Um, and Robert had given up everything he possibly could. Um, he was uh, at risk of losing his reputation. Vic was trying to slander him. It was it was awful. It was just simply awful. And by the time they got to live together, they had about three months of blissful marriage. <laughs> and then some cracks started to show. And Robert, um, also, since he was about 18, it was very clear that he was struggling with a lot of mental illness. Um, and they had um, a very, very interesting relationship in that there's so much love there. There's so much mutual respect, and in some way, it's such a such a modern and exemplary re relationship. But at the same time, there's um there's a whole lot of other stuff. Yeah, she really had to do a lot of carrying of the family, mm -hmm. and it's ironic that that F Frederick Wieck wanted her to find somebody with money mm -hmm. because there's a subtext there, which is that she would never, no matter how good she was, earn enough money. That's to true. stand on her own. Mm -hmm. So even even then, mm -hmm. it, women were not going to make money. Mm, yeah, that's true. And But yet she did. She was the main bread earner for the, the family. And that was um, something that was a little, even though Robert was really um, open to her as her full person, um, he was still a little bit ashamed by the fact that she was much more famous than he was, and she was the bread earner. Um, when they would go on tour to, to Russia, for example, she people would 
approach him and say, oh, you're the husband of Clara Schumann. And it was a little hard for him. In fact, wasn't there a, a situation where he was someplace to actually premiere one of his works? Uh-huh. And that was how he was referred yes. to. It wasn't that they cared about what he wrote. Right. It was that he was married to yeah. Clara. She was the superstar. Um, he was still relatively unknown um, and would remain so for, for a long time. Um, she had started to sacrifice, I, I should mention, throughout the course of their marriage, she had eight kids. So that really took a toll on her performance career. Um, but she did still play a lot. Um, she was kind of ambivalent about whether she should give up her performance career. She certainly gave up a lot of her composing. Um, before they were married, she had composed quite a bit. And um, she, again, she just didn't have any models. For that, for the performance career, she seemed to thrive in that. But for composing, there's a really touching quote of hers where she's saying, um, why should I think that I could possibly be the first female composer. I once believed that I possessed creative talent, but I have given up this idea. A woman must not desire to compose. There has never yet been one able to do it, should I expect to be the one. Absolutely. Which is interesting because when she was young, she said, there's nothing greater than the joy of composing something oneself and then listening to it. Mm -hmm. So she knew she had it, but she walked away from Mm -hmm. it. She did. She did. And when you hear, um, I've really had an interesting experience in the last couple weeks thinking about this this, uh, talk, um, going back to her music and listening to it. um, There are some remarkable things in her music. Um, I had always listened to it biased. I was listening, oh, that's strange Schumann. That's strange Robert Schumann. That's interesting version of Johannes Brahms or something like this. And I never listened to it with a sense of who Clara was. I always saw a reflection of somebody else. And going back now and knowing a little bit more about her personality and not seeing her just reflected through other people, that's some amazing music. You always have to give the caveat. Most of her um, most famous music was written before she was 20. So that's great music for a 16-year-old. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the name. You said the name, Johannes Brahms. And this became another really interesting, um, almost speed bump in her mm-hmm. life, where this young, at the time, very handsome man, because when Brahms was young, he was really a looker. Breathtaking. He really was. <laughs> It's so hard when you look at these pictures of him as an older gentleman, heavy with the big beard, to know that he was a real hottie when he was a kid. <laughs> he came into that, that family to study with, with Schumann. Schumann took him under his wing, Robert especially, but Clara did too. Mm-hmm. Do you think, because this is always the little question mark here, after Robert passed away, do you think they had an affair? I've spread so much about it. I think nobody will ever know the extent to which their friendship was platonic to the extent to which they were intimate with each other. I don't think there's any evidence um, that they were more than very, very, very intimate friends. Um, there was certainly a mutual love, and um, Brahms was very expressive about it, um, and they would go on trips together. So depending on what you interpret from these things... <laughs> We, we just don't know for sure. But, and uh, she played it, his music. She played his music, and she was. Um, it was a kind of friendship I think people are, are very often afraid to have because um, it must have been kind of scandalous at that point that they would be showing up at, like, a spa resort together. <laughs> um, but they just didn't seem to care that much. Um, I, Brahms actually fell in love with one of the Schumann chi- kids. I think he kind of understood that Clara was never going to 
marry him or or uh, or like turn the relationship into something else. So she he um, was interested in marrying one of one of the daughters, and um, that didn't work out. And at some point, he was kind of a brash character. So sometimes he would just kind of say, this is enough, this is too much, and he would just storm off and not speak to her for a couple years. But they'd always come back together. She premiered a lot of his pieces. Um, she was an incredible... To think of her navigating the first piano concerto of Brahms, where nobody had ever played these kind of techniques, it's, it's just amazing. Um, you have to be somebody who's so strong. <laughs> And, and talented. Great, and talented and such a great musician. And by memory, because she was the mm-hmm. very first one to ever do that. She was. I thought it was Liszt, but now I know differently. Yeah, I, she didn't like Liszt. She didn't like Liszt. She, uh, he was kind of everything she wasn't. I think um, he was so... Um, he was so savvy with uh, with his audience, and he was such a showman. And I see a lot of depth in Liszt, but I think she... Um, she thought he was taking music in a direction that she wasn't comfortable with. Yeah, she was not one of the flailing hands. She was not. <laughs> he he was. Uh, he had a lot of lady admirers, but she was not one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's and and yet here she was. Um, she started this whole trend of playing from memory, which is something everybody does now. Mm-hmm. And and she set the table for women to become soloists as well. And yet, someplace down the line. We started developing, we as a society, a pretty negative outlook on her. Mm -hmm. And people have said that Clara Schumann was not particularly supportive of her husband, Robert, and his career, Mm -hmm. and that she almost encouraged this, oh, you're Clara's husband thing, and and that she wouldn't play his later works in Mm -hmm. public. So is that something that is true, or Heather, should that be dispelled? It's um, it's so com- everything is so complicated um, with this story because um, they've left probably these two Robert and Clara the biggest paper trail of any uh, composer couple in the history of mankind. We have so much about them. We have so many. You can you can cherry pick things that show them to be absolutely perfect, gorgeous, wonderful human beings. You can also pick a lot of things where they show their pettiness, their jealousy. Um, their discontent with each other. There's so much information that we can sift through in their body of, of letters, and uh, it's really hard to develop a what was that. And I think in general, it's just really hard to do that with people who aren't here and, you know, with anybody. Um, I think the issue that a lot of people have with Clara, and I have to say, um, as I, when I was a student, I was kind of indulging in this soft misogyny myself because um, people would talk about Clara and it was just offhanded remarks. Um, well, she didn't understand him or she she didn't understand the breadth of his talent or something. But of course she did. She was she was one person on earth who would understand him more than anybody else. She had eight <laughs> kids with him yes. for heaven's sakes. <laughs> so I it's just absurd to think that she wasn't capable of understanding his greatness. She admired him more than anybody. Um, she was his greatest admirer. And um, Yet she lived with him, and she saw the really scary episodes. He would have oral hallucinations where he would um, believe that there was a a demon choir singing in his head. And um, she saw this. She was terrified by it. Mental illness at that point, there was no romanticization (laughs) of mental illness. Everything she had given up for him, everything she had worked for in her whole life was being 
torn down by his mental illness. And I think when she saw um, in his music signs of his mental illness, she got really scared about that. And she would take out her eraser and remove some things that um, she found a little too out there. Um, if he was being a little too dissonant here, she would she would come back and take it out. We have versions of everything except for a few pieces. We have um, first and second versions of many of his pieces where you can see, okay, this is pre-Clara and this is post-Clara. It's not like she destroyed it. There are one or two pieces that have been uh, destroyed. She did that in conjunction with Johannes Brahms and Joachim uh, uh, Joachim, <laughs> I'm saying that right. Joseph Joachim. Joseph Joachim, excuse me. Um, they were in agreement that these were not representative of the Robert Schumann they knew. At the end of his life, when he really um, had a severe nervous breakdown, um, he couldn't function. He, he was... Um, uh, he, he couldn't speak. He, he was always sputtering saliva all over the place. He was jittery. Um, the, the notes that we have from his last years, it's really pathetic. It's so incredibly sad. And um, they had access to this person as well, and they wanted to protect Robert Schumann from the public opinion that this is who he was. They said this is not who he is. So whether we want to criticize them for that is you know, our choice, but um, I think we have to see see the whole picture when we when we discuss how she um, dealt with what she saw as his, the manifestation of his madness in the music. Yeah, kind of the ultimate act of love, actually. Yes. The protecting of one's husband. Yes. I love that phrase, soft uh, misogyny. That's a great phrase. Mm. We we do this a lot, I think, in in our in our lives with women in our society. I think there's a lot of soft misogyny, and I. Um, can imagine that in her day and age, it was one constant barrage of soft misogyny. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so hard to know how she would deal with um, certain statements. Everybody was always saying she was strong for a woman. I think Goethe said that um, she had the strengths of six boys. So that's that's a really great compliment. But you have to wonder, um, okay, I'm, I'm strong for a woman. All of these caveats, all of these, well, I'm okay for, for a girl. But and I wonder how that affected her. Um, she had a lot of self-imposed expectations or societally imposed expectations. She should be at home with her husband and her children. Um, she was a pretty, I mean, could probably say like distant mother. Um, yeah. And I wonder what kind of pushback she got from people about that. She um, she definitely wasn't there for, for her children and some of them really had um, difficult lives. Yeah, uh, yeah, so I was going to ask you, what do we know about those seven surviving mm -hmm. children mm -hmm. and their take on mom and dad? Mm -hmm. It's very mixed. Um, so Maria, the oldest daughter, she got the most care. And I must say, Robert was, um, not only was Clara a very doting mother at the beginning with the oldest child, Robert was an incredibly involved for the, the time. He was an incredibly involved father. And um, he just loved having children in the house. And we're... Um, Clara started to show a little bit of um, ambivalence where it was really getting in the way of her playing and practicing, and she was constantly pregnant over the course of uh, 16 years. She was just constantly pregnant and having babies, and it was just taking a toll. And um, I think he, Robert was remarkable for his age and in how involved he was as a father before things got really bad for him. Um, and for the later children, I think they just um, they came at a difficult time. The, the youngest child was born a year or two before Robert went into a mental institution. So 
Um, Clara was struggling with a lot of stuff at that time. Um, she had to earn money for the family. Um, nobody was earning money <laughs> except for her, right. so she had a family of seven to support. So she jumped out into the world and gave concerts, and she was away a lot. Um, and there's a really sad history for especially the, the male Schumann children. Um, the three boys didn't have very happy lives. There was a suicide. There was an illness. Um, it's just a, a kind of sad story, um, for the, especially for the males. When we talk, too, about uh, having to keep a roof over her head, having to put food on the table, we also have to remember there was help to pay because, you know, they were... She, they weren't running that house by themselves. Clara mm -hmm. Schumann was not doing the dusting. They, That's true. They, they had to hire a cook. They had to hire a person. Mm -hmm. I mean, keeping a household uh, with seven kids mm -hmm. uh, was was a pretty expensive thing. And mm -hmm. she was a teacher, too, right? She was a teacher. She um, And that's one of, as we kind of maybe inch towards the legacy of Clara Schumann, that's probably one of the areas where she had the most influence. Um, she has a school of teaching. Um, I'm going back to Frederick Wieck, um, he was a great teacher in many regards, even though he was not a very <laughs> pleasant human being. Um, and he was very individualized. So when you try to talk about the school of, of the Schumann legacy or something, you can really talk about different schools of playing. And it's really hard to identify because they would take each individual student as its own case and see where uh, Frederick Wieck would do this and also Clara Wieck. Um, so she was very individualized. She was very... Um, involved with her students and um, sometimes could be pretty dominating and domineering and uh, could be a little mean. <laughs> um, but she she really expected a lot of them. Um, she was pretty fierce um, and also many times very loving with them, very warm-hearted and, and loving. And um, there's just so much depth in her relationships. You can find everything. You can find so much generosity. You can find so much pettiness. You can find kind of anything you're looking for. So... Once they were uh, dissolved, the relationship of father and daughter, mm -hmm. were they ever reunited at all, father and daughter? Yes. And she she never, um, she was never defiant. Um, she never left him decisively. She never uh, just kind of shook him off of her shoulders and, and marched off to Robert. Um, so they did reconcile a couple of years later, a couple of years after the, the marriage, she, she had a relationship with him. Um, Robert was never really pleased about that. He was happy for her, and he said, I'm happy for Clara, but um, he still had hard feelings, understandably. Um, so I think they had contact, um, and you just see from Frederick Wieck that he's just a bitter guy from, from his younger years until the very end. He's just a bitter human being. One thing that Clara certainly learned from her father was to have a very sharp tongue. She was quite opinionated mm -hmm. on what she liked and what she didn't like. She despised Wagner. Mm -hmm. She despised Liszt. She she has some pretty good insults. <laughs> yeah, she does. She she has a sharp tongue. I think um, I don't think Schumann was like that. I certain who knows what he was like in uh, private, but um, she was very open about her opinions, and that's also something maybe remarkable for the day where women were supposed to be. Uh, very modest and not keep their opinions to themselves. So yeah, she, she was kind of like the Dorothy Parker of her <laughs> day. She, was, she she let nothing. She called List a spoiled child. Yeah. And um, yeah. what was the phrase she used for Wagner? Or something like despicable or disgraceful or horrible or maybe all of those. Maybe things. all probably all of those things in one of her thousands of letters to somebody. She probably said all of those. Yeah, many many. Yeah. So. What was her legacy? In the end, 
when we look at this woman from her difficult childhood through her difficult marriage to this career that, as you point out, Heather, she had no path for whatsoever. Mm -hmm. What is her legacy in the end? I think we have to start uncovering for, for my, me personally. I was really surprised to learn that she was the first to play by memory. So I always attribute that to Liszt. Um, I think we have to start uncovering what her legacy is and um, going back into what she provided. Um, she herself thought that instrumentalists and performers don't have the kind of legacy as a composer. So she was um, understanding that after her function was done, after she couldn't play anymore, she was probably going to disappear from people's memories. Um, that didn't happen. She um, has an incredible legacy through her students. Um, I just have to say people are always name dropping. I think every pianist out there can say that they're a descendant of Liszt because Liszt had, he, he was like a, a father who has a million children. He had a million students. And um, we can all say we studied with a legacy of Liszt. Um, probably a lot of us have Clara uh, ancestors in there. And we just don't know because people don't talk about it that much or they don't seek her out as a um, as part of their legacy. She's not as present. Um, people aren't proud to say that I'm the student of the student of the student of Clara Schumann in the same way they would be to say that of Liszt. Um, so there's so many aspects where um, there's room for her to have much greater presence in our talking about music. Um, I think she's present, but I don't think we know I think there have to be a lot of people who come in and say, oh, that was Clara. She did that. Um, she she certainly was influential in how she played. She was influential in how um, she related the pieces she chose for her concerts, um, who she supported. I don't know if we'd have the kind of pieces um, from Robert Schumann or from Johannes Brahms that we have if it weren't for Clara Schumann because she was so such a great partner in uh, interpreting them. She was such a strong presence. She had her own compositional ideas. Um, so I think we have a lot of uncovering work to do, what, what her legacy is. And how do we uncover? Is it a matter of reading more? Is it a matter of talking more? Is it something as simple as just programming her music more? All of the above. <laughs> I am guilty. I've never played a piece of hers, and I want to change that. Um, I have to ask my, I have to really scold myself, like, what What am I doing? I'm here talking about Clara Schumann. I've never played a piece of hers. Um, so I, I feel like we all have to kind of look and ask ourselves why why this is. Um, more programming, there's really wonderful pieces of Clara. Um, as I mentioned before, it's amazing to think she did all that before the age of 20. Um, and then just there's, as I mentioned before, there's such a paper trail. They have, there's so much information out there there's so much of her out there. And if we can start to look at Clara not reflected through the men she was associated with, um, so what did she do for Robert? What did she do for Brahms? What did she, how did she harm Robert? How did she uh, flirt with Brahms and destroy his, uh, <laughs> his, his personal life? Instead of seeing all, of the, all those aspects, we can really start to look at who is Clara Schumann? She was a real personality. She wasn't just a reflection. And um, just start to get a sense of this absolutely marvelous person. Um, I, I love looking at paintings and drawings of her and seeing the Schumann children and how there's aspects of Clara and Robert in the children's. Um, and it's just, it's such an incredibly dynamic partnership between the two. They're both such strong personalities. And um, I think there's so much to learn from Clara. What we think she would think, Heather, knowing 
this conversation was even being had, you know, uh, hundreds of years mm. past her her life. How do you think she would view that? I think she had two aspects in her. I think she was really proud of her ability as a pianist, and um, she was good, and she knew it, <laughs> and that sustained her a lot. Um, so I think she part of her would say, "Oh, I'm not surprised. I'm I'm really good <laughs> as a pianist." Um, and at, and at another part of her, I think she'd be surprised. Um, I think she wouldn't be surprised that people are still talking about Robert Schumann. I think she'd be very pleased by the place which his works take in our concert life and. I think uh, everyone I know and myself included agree that they, they certainly deserve their place in the, the canon. Uh, they're absolutely wonderful pieces. Um, so I think she'd be pleased to see that Robert fared so well. And I think um, she'd kind of be surprised by people still talking about her and what she did. I think um, she was very mixed in her pride in herself and her doubts in herself as well. Which makes her infinitely human. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you for coming in, and let's continue a conversation on Clara on the airwaves and beyond and give her the due that she deserves. Thank you so much for doing that, Julia. It's a pleasure, Heather. Heather O'Donnell is our guest, and thank you very much uh, for having her come in and talk about Clara Schumann. This podcast is a production of WXXI Public Broadcasting.